Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Three voices heard. So here we have a scene with Elohim, Jehovah and Michael, and it's the creation scene. This image on the right-hand side is one of the latest images from the James Webb telescope and shows the universe looking back 13 billion light years, which is an amazing image. And some of the imagery shown in the temple is similar, showing shots from um, of the cosmos and different things as planets start to be formed. And I thought this was always just amazing because I was always into this stuff and it really kind of ticked a box for me because it it helped me understand kind of how it all fit together and the whole matter unorganized um so at this point in the ceremony you've got uh, elohim who, who remains in heaven and then michael and jehovah go down and organize the earth from matter unorganized and thus announce the trash planet paradox which i'm about to drag you guys through um but they they go through basically the seven days of creation as found in genesis okay but there's a paradox here which i think doesn't get discussed enough and that paradox is the first part is that the mormon creation is a young earth creation Okay, we know from the Doctrine and Covenants, section 77.6 here, um, the question, what are we to understand by the book in John saw, which was uh, sealed on the back of the seven seals. And Joseph Smith goes on to say that the um, the temporal existence of the earth is 7,000 years. And we, we see that the benefits of the fall from just below there, from uh, the church's website, say that there was no death in the world for going the right direction no death in the world uh, no mortality spiritual or physical death previous to six thousand years ago which was the fall of adam and eve and uh, we see in second nephi it speaks about that as well and then from 2017 lds bible dictionary topic death latter-day revelation teaches there was no death on this earth before the fall of adam Indeed, death entered the world as a direct result of the fall, which makes sense for the story of the creation. Okay, But that raises a question that was always a big question for me. What then do we do with evidence of pre-Adamite animals, plant life, humans that is dated to be older than 6,000 years old. As anyone, I guess, there's there's a, a stereotypical kind of question or answer that people come back to me with, but what answers have you guys heard? Oh, I got I got taught it. Yeah, we, we had a guy who was brilliant at channeling all the speculative stuff, um, which made growing up with around these people in the 1780s a hoot. Um, and Mormonism was much more interesting back then when it was weirder. And that is that these fossils are the remnants from other worlds. So yeah. God has 
recycled bits of other planets. So the fossils come from those other worlds in the ancient past. And that's why we are finding fossils. And then you get nutty evangelical Christians who take it even further that the fossils are put there by Satan to kind of trick us and divert us with this whole evolution thing from believing the truth. Um, so, yeah, I actually definitely for certain got taught that as an explanation as I was growing up. Yeah. So, so and this is the paradox, because we've now come to the point where there are supposedly bits of other planets floating around that have previous human life on them just floating around in space as matter unorganized and that is the matter unorganized now i could understand if it was just meteorites and dust that's matter unorganized for me and that's what i went with and that created the earth and that fit with some of science but then when people gave me this answer they would say that on those bits of rock in space were cave paintings from that can be dated to 10,000 years ago or footprints, ancient footprints from mud beds or but, walls. Go on. But archaeology does account for that, doesn't it? Because, you know, if we're doing what has been done in other worlds, you can say, well, this has happened elsewhere and well, that's gone through its life cycle. And now we've got a little bit of a piece of that other world. Yes, but it's the life cycle that is the problem because the life cycle of a planet, if it is being done as was in other worlds, what happens to this world after the second coming? And that is from the church's website, the planet on which we live created by God through Jesus Christ to be used by man during his mortal probation. Its final destiny is to become glorified and exalted. The earth will become an eternal inheritance for those who lived worthy of the celestial glory. They will enjoy the presence of the Father and of the Son. Um, so it, it is not to be broken up and used to create. You've done this planet. before, PD. No, this 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 is people don't talk about this enough. This is taking it literally. This is this I is think it's such paradox. a thing in Mormonism. Where the people come up with these solutions, I mean, again, particularly in what we call McConkie Mormonism, where everything was pinned down, everything any prophet ever said had to be true. And people would wade through the journals of discourses, all these records of pretty much every talk loads of 1800s apostles had given, often contradicting each other. And they try and make it work. And, and I think part of the genius of Mormonism that Joseph Smith demonstrated himself is that he sees the gaps. He sees where something didn't work in traditional Christianity. So he came up with a rational a solution to it. He filled the gaps. That was what Mormonism is all about, is saying, well, what does happen to people who die before they um, hear the gospel? You know, if baptism is essential, you must be born again of the water and the spirit. How do you fix that? Well, baptisms for the dead, of course, which is mentioned in the Bible. Then the, you know, all the stuff with creation. But the, I think the frustration here is that Joseph Smith and Brigham Young, and in the spirit of Freemasonry, which is not a religion, um, it's actually, uh, as, as they were experiencing it, was a product of the enlightenment of the scientific age. Atheistic individuals wrote the Constitution of America. Most of the leading lights were not Christian, but they were Masons. And Freemasonry was, was all about being seeking greater knowledge, understanding, 
having an intellectual approach to life. And Joseph Smith, by the King Follett discourse at the end, talking about how the, the word for day could be interpreted in the scriptures as meaning eons of time. So he made Mormonism safe for, for a much longer earth than 6,000 years. Um, he actually taught that by the end. This is a Mormon thing as well, as the, the sort of the, oh, it's only 6,000 years. In fact, the predominant message I got growing up was, wasn't Joseph Smith clever because he got over the, the superstitious Christian thing of the earth being created in six actual days. You can attach scientific evolution and the age of the earth to what Joseph Smith taught because he said he, he didn't put a time limit on. Um, and, and this was big, you know, this is, uh, you had a lot of the early apostles intellectuals, they, they gave lectures on these things, lectures, you know, the Orson Pratt in um, uh, Britain, you know, wrote leaf booklets and things offering a rational faith. Um, and it's really tragic that we have a, a president of the church at the moment who hasn't caught up with any of that or never understood it from the past. You know, he he gave an interview a few years ago to a medical um, department at uh, one of the Utah universities, not the church one, in which he said, um, you know, and, and also in an interview with other journalists, that um, dogs have always been dogs. You know, man did not evolve from monkeys. Like yeah. he said, all the clean <clears throat> stuff of the ignorance. Um, and he genuinely believes that. And and so those are the people in charge of this religion that used to, Brigham Young even, said the purpose of Mormonism is to bring all knowledge in, to send our missionaries out and bring in the knowledge that the chemists have, that the geologists have, that the heathens have, that the sinners have. You know, if it's truth, bring it in have it it's yep. part of our religion our religion is about including all truth um yeah, i think and julian that that is the religion i grew up in you know yeah, james I think Talbot, the that you hit on the head there peter my great grandmother yeah um it, Sorry, so so i'm gonna at risk of sounding like a knob or, or more more of a knob the normal i never i can't remember ever really taking any of it that literally you know i thought you know long before i kind of stopped yeah. believing in in some of the other things i, I didn't really you know i thought well there's, there's we can easily account for um an earth that is billions of years old and, and still be a believing mormon we can mm. you know we can believe in dinosaurs we can even believe in evolution and still make it work you know there are ways to do that and there was a big you, you know in the i think it was in the in the 20s i think it was there was a big kind of debate um mm. amongst the the church leadership about um about evolution um the the problem is we've got a prophet yeah. We've got a prophet that, that, that speaks to God, receives revelation, and so it should just be easily cleared up, you know. That, that, and if it's not that important, you know, because that's what some people would say in argument to, to, to what I'm saying here. They would say, oh, well, we don't need a revelation on how the world was created. We don't need a revelation on, on dinosaurs. Well, do you know what? Just give us one and then we can move on, <laughs> you know, to the things that we really do need to be thinking about. Yeah. Let's, let's just clear that up, you know. Why don't you just, why doesn't the prophet just go, yeah, evolution happened big bang happened you know move on yeah i think they're too scared of the fact that 
science does prove other things depend as technology advances as we make new discoveries that if they say something very um certain at a point in time which they've done over the years um that <laughs> they'll be held up to the scientific magnifying glass and shown to be incorrect and i think just to finish this point um i much like you julian thought you know science or i at least thought science is just man figuring out some of the ways that god works and that it, it can all jibe together that the earth could still be 4.3 billion years old and adam and eve were six thousand years ago um, and then it all started to fall apart for me a little bit when i started reading things from modern day prophets kind of kiboshing uh, my scientific explanations um, but from from Joseph Smith in William Clayton's journals notes, the prophet Joseph Smith made the following statement on the 5th of January 1841 during what Clayton called the organization of a school of instruction. He said the earth was organized or formed out of other planets which were broken up and remodeled and made into the one which we in which on which we live. And I think that's where kind of we're talking about these seeds of doctrines that then get extrapolated through the cultural milieu of the church and people trying to explain what mm -hmm. a dead prophet meant and i think that's where this comes in those sorts of statements um that then have people saying oh well if it's made from other planets then the things that we find that are older than six thousand years are obviously alien villages or alien like dinosaurs um because they that's the yeah. only way that it fits and it's that cognitive dissonance that gives birth to these extra doctrines um Okay. I mean, I, I had a great break? gift that when when I started at the temple, I think it, I, if I remember right, I was eighteen, and I had my this is you know old school endowment I was about to experience, um, and I, the, you have a sort of introductory interview with a member of the temple presidency, and the thing after you like zero prep really of anything to do with the temple, I didn't know what was coming. But the, the wonderful thing he said was these things are symbolic. These are, you know, effectively, these are metaphors. What you're going to see is symbolic of things. And there is language in the endowment that talks about it being symbolic. Um, so I've always been inoculated against the need for any of this to be literal. When I watch Adam and Eve playing things out and having their arguments, I'm seeing an archetype or, you know, it's men are from Mars, women are from Venus, 1800s version. It's brilliant. Women think holistically. Women, um, and it's in Genesis. When Eve looks at the fruit, she uses multiple intelligences. She sees that it's beautiful. It's her aesthetic intelligence. Um, she sees that it's nutritious. She has a practical intelligence. She sees that it will give her knowledge and intellectual intelligence. And that, and she holistically kind of puts all those different things together, as we're often told female brains work, and came to a conclusion that she had to, to take that step. And that is something that the new films, for the short period they lasted, really dragged out and emphasised. They took the same text, but everything about how Eve was thinking and acting and how she interacted with Adam, this was the brilliance of them. It was a tragedy that they got yanked so quickly.
mm-hmm. was they'd actually radically changed the meaning of all of those conversations. They made Eve not the ditzy fool being tricked by a snake, but she is the thoughtful, intelligent person who's worked it out. To convince Adam, who's t- being a typical male, he's living in a rigid world well, with boxes and rules. He's going to follow the rules. We're going to get um, there, Peter. But, but it takes women to get him to get. Yeah, we're going so to get there. I think um, the okay, cool. So, but the point I'm making is you can approach the, all of these things completely differently if someone just gives you permission to see it as metaphorical. But Jane and I, or whoever are interacting when we're, I mean, she isn't able to get to church much, but we're sort of in this world where we're still plugged into it all. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting gospel doctrine lessons and have taught gospel doctrine lessons about them. Well, I'm, I'm surrounded by people who are well-respected members of the, the ward community who are absolutely buying into the 6,000-year earth and stuff. And if I even begin to talk about anything scientific or that maybe there wasn't a global flood because there definitely wasn't that wiped out all of humanity 4,000 years ago, they freak out. They worry about my soul and my testimony. I'm the apostate danger. So we've got these worlds going on that are so frustrating because they worked out the science stuff in the 1800s. We had rational faith and they're backtracking on it now. Okay. And they're not giving it to the kids. Julian. Or the convert in most cases. Yeah. Julian. No, I I was, sorry. I was just going to point out that we're an hour and 20 minutes in. Um, yeah. We haven't talked about nudity yet. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where are you going with this? All right. We're, we're, we're about to get there, right? Yeah. Right. Um, ancient Hebrew concepts of the universe, because we're creating this, and the, the Mormon temple ceremony goes through the ancient hebrew uh creation in genesis okay and it creates this um flat earth kind of model okay and i'm not saying that the temple's flat earth is in the video it used to show a globe earth but then it teaches this flat earth um kind of theology uh god said let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters here in this earth we've got the great deep at the bottom and we've got a firmament and the waters above the firmament um we've got the lights um the great lights the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night he made the stars also and god said let the firmament uh, set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and that's what we've got here they're set in the firmament. We've got windows of heaven, foundations of heaven. We've got the uh, old ancient Hebrew Sheol, which was the the hell. You know, all of these things are very much in the Bible and in more the Mormon milieu. But I'm sure a lot of people, if they actually looked at it, you would see that the Genesis creation and the temple creation fits with this. I'm not saying this is correct, but... I just think it's interesting to pull out the fact that these things, this this physical firmament and these waters above and different things don't actually scientifically exist in the way that they speak about it. I mean, you could say the hole in the ozone layer may have been a window to heaven, but we got rid of that. So, but moving on to nakedness, mm-hmm. nakedness. Okay, so Adam falls asleep. Um, and they basically say it is not good for man to be alone. They tell all the men in the room to go to sleep. 
and then um, they, what do they say? Um, Elohim, it is not good for man to be alone. Jehovah, it is not good for we are not alone. Elohim, we will cause a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and make for him a woman to be with him. Uh, the male part of the audience are told to close their eyes, at which point I usually fell asleep uh, to imitate Adam sleeping. While Adam sleeps, Eve enters and stands beside him, and Eve and Adam are naked. Julian. Okay, can I, let, we'll get, let me get onto the naked bit in a sec, but I just wanted to point out the irony here of what, what happens, and I'm sure there's a lot of people that are with me on this. So up until this point, we've watched this quite long video in a really dark room with lots and lots of repetition in it. Yeah. And then he gets to this point where he says, all the men will now close their eyes as if they were asleep. <laughs> like, as if, <laughs> you know, half the people in here are asleep. You know, he, that, that was that was always the challenge, wasn't it? You know, yes. you have to be really, uh, really righteous, righteously awake yeah. um, at that point. Um, but yeah, the, the uh, yeah, nudity in the temple, that, that's an interesting one, isn't it? Um, it was always tough for me because I really fancied Eve. The blonde Eve really did it for me, and I felt really bad for having those like feelings. I preferred the brunette. Yeah, I thought that one of the, the Adams looked at first when I went. I thought that's Jim Carrey. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I thought they've really stretched the boat there, haven't they? But yeah, it's, it's nudity in the temple. Well, the porn shoulders, it's extraordinary. There's porn yeah. shoulders in the endowment films. It was like, oh, with and very carefully placed foliage and goats and things. So, yeah. so if, if anyone was wondering why we are naked and um, just covered <laughs> in, in bush, then that's why, because this is what you were presented with in the temple endowment. And yeah, if at this juncture, anyone who's not subscribed wants to, because we've made a real effort tonight. If you want to like the video and if you want to go on your social media and get everyone over here this is this will be i think the first time in history that a mormon podcast has been done in proper cosplay um because we've really yeah we've really done well tonight stick it on your facebook get everyone over here and hit the like button but in the warsaw signal on the 15th of april 1846 emmeline wanted to put everyone straight on the fact that there was no sex in the temple it wasn't a weird thing and she says something in here that i think that i'd not heard of before and again like uh mr jarman it is just a member giving her um recounting in a newspaper so i can't uh, speak to the actual 100 percent you know, truthfulness of it. But she says we were conducted into a room called the Garden of Eden. Here we found several of our brethren robed in white also, and apparently in soporific state. So they were, they had their eyes closed and were sleepy. We were presented before them and a voice from the Lord awoke them from sleep after a considerable ceremony which I do not recollect much of. There you go, Julian. Um, we were left by the Lord, and soon a very dandy-like fellow appeared with a black cap on and had a long veil attached to it. He appeared very familiar, 
and that was Satan coming in. But I thought it was interesting. She alludes to the fact that the sisters weren't brought into the room until Eve comes in. And that wow. like, like there's different accounts everywhere, but I just thought this was an interesting one to bring up that the women came in mm. and the men were asleep and they came in at the point that Eve actually comes in because early on, all of the sisters represented Eve in the ceremony. It wasn't yeah. just the one witness couple at the front. So they all came in as Eve. So they may have missed the creation part. Go on, Julian. Yeah, again, this is, you know, going back to what I've said before, I think this is a really essential point here. Um, the way that it's supposed to be, and when I say um, the way it's supposed to be, I don't just mean in kind of Mormon theology, but temple ritual generally, it's not, you're not there as, a, the, the initiate is not there as an observer. You're not there to just sit and watch what's going on. You participate. It is a drama, and you are a, you are a, a participant in that drama. Um, and you know, obviously, that's kind of got reduced, um, you know, more and more. And, and it, now he's just, you know, you might as well just almost sit at home, just watch it on Netflix. Um, yeah. But originally, you you were really meant to be um, involved and, and, and part of the whole play. Yeah, and and this this bit at the bottom that she puts, I think is amazing. Okay, she speaks about Satan coming in, and she misses a whole bit about Eve and everything. But she gets to the point where the Lord curses Satan, right? And he said, "The Lord pronounced a curse upon him. He gets down on his belly and crawls off." At this point in the holy ceremony, I could not suppress my visible passions, for this fellow acted his part well, undoubtedly his part being the part of the devil was the most natural <laughs> poor guy we were then presented with aprons when we get to that in a moment which we put on about this time a sword was shook at us through the partition of the room which was to guard the tree of life can you imagine someone like sticking their oh, arm wow. with a sword and shaking it because in the masonic ceremony there's lots of swords i wish i'd got a sword and shaking it and i can hear like you know the kind of crashing of thunder in the in the back. Someone shaking some cans or something like as this sword shakes. Um, so, as you say, Julian, it was very much a yeah. theatrical thing. And this is this whole idea is seen elsewhere as well in other in other um, temple rituals, and the idea being that the, it's kind of symbolic of of. Because let's face it, all religion is about death, isn't it? It's all about overcoming death. That's that's the real crux of it. Um, yeah. And and so the temple is kind of this symbolic journey of of overcoming death, and and that that's what the endowment's all about. Um, and you see the same idea um, elsewhere, where you've got these kind of people guarding the way, and often armed with swords, or in in the Egyptian um, religion with with knives and stuff like that to to stop people from from getting into the, the the presence of god yeah okay so um everyone and i just before you move on pd sorry just yeah. a quickie yeah. um there's something there in that old version of the endowment that's amazing it's where um elohim and jehovah say you know we're going to make a woman for the man so that he's not alone because we are not alone that i've ah, never yes. heard that in the endowment Yes. And it's, you know, the, the thing about the endowment is there is no mention whatsoever anywhere of Heavenly Mother. No. Um, but that that really 
you know, catches my attention because in a sense that was, that was a reference to Elohim and Jehovah. Is it Jehovah? Um, you know, yeah. having wives. Um, so that I think that's really significant that, that the, the early versions of the endowment actually referenced Heavenly Mother by implication. I mean, it's all there by implication, I guess. Yeah. What the women are sort of going to become as the slave brood mares of their god god husbands. But I think that's really, really important. And I'm intrigued about why they took that out um, by the time of the endowments we were yeah. experiencing. Well, um, at this point, everyone Which stands up. Chat. Really interesting. Yeah. Mm. Well, I, do you think they say they're not alone because we're together, me and you, Elohim Jehovah? I don't know. But it could, could be. be. I, 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 but, it, but it is about creating a woman as like the destiny say, man. You know, man cannot be on their own without yeah, they, a woman. Yeah. They could have just given him another dude to play ping pong with, um, but they didn't. Yeah. He needed a wife. Well, you can point out that, yeah, that Adam's parents were, were two, two men, men in this story. Yeah. <laughs> two men created the first man, so why have they got a problem with two men having a kid now? Yeah. 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 It's Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's this is oh, the irony. Dear. It's like the temple endowment has Adam and Steve. <laughs> it's like, you know, making the stuff, making the people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, PD, can I just get a rewind on this as well? Because I feel well, like I feel like we've been through some some pretty important bits here. I want to go back to the nudity. <laughs> go on. <laughs> Because that that is a big deal. That is a big deal. You know, we, you know, I was raised in a very kind of, you know, this real kind of purity culture, you know, where you don't, you know, mm. women aren't allowed to show their shoulders, you know, and now suddenly I'm, I'm, I'm in the temple and um, you've got people, these, these actors that are showing a lot more than just their shoulders now you know obviously it doesn't it doesn't show there are no there are no uh you know no, no boobs in it or anything you know it's all very kind of artistically done um you know but maybe it's just me but i remember being sat there thinking well hang on a sec how have they done this you know because obviously that's not cool you know i'm not allowed to you know we can't watch um R-rated movies, I did anyway, but you're not supposed to, and and we, we you know, this this all is a little bit naughty, and and yeah, maybe it's just me, but I remember distinctly sitting there watching that and thinking, what's going on here? Yeah, and I was it just I, me? I, I agree well, with I you. <clears throat> Go on, Laura. So I was going to say, I have heard other other men say this. Um, I don't know whether it was because I wasn't raised the same as you, Julian, that it didn't really stick out as a big deal um, to see that in the temple. I certainly didn't derail me any more than just being in the temple derailed me um, when I saw these shoulders and, you know, more torso than I see generally. <clears throat> but I don't know whether it is a male thing when males are so kind of, uh, you know, it's shoved down their neck every every week to... Yeah, I was. I was. Their feelings. If if a shampoo commercial would come on the TV, and it would have a woman in the shower washing her hair with her shoulders out, or would show kind of her silhouette through frosted glass, sort of thing, that would be like 
shut your eyes, turn away, make sure mum and dad see you turn away, not to look at that, because that's like soft, soft porn, isn't it? According to, you know, them. So then to see this in the temple, it's like, it's whiplash, no, it's isn't hilarious. it? But you've also got... Did you pass um, the Adam at all, Laura? Did any of the Adams get you going? I think probably Eve more. <laughs> yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So you, you've mm-hmm. also got these, these video now thing. that um, he's really quite. I mean, it's even worse now, obviously, because they've they've pared it down to just photos, haven't they? Now or, or whatever. But it's you know it's quite boring, um, and so you kind of look for little bits, you know. And if you, you go there a lot, you you um, you know you you get to know it quite well. And there are these little bits. Like, does anybody? Did anybody else notice how you've got this one scene where in one of the films where Adam's kind of wandering around, kind of loving the, the Garden of Eden, he's all really, really happy, and then he looks over and he kind of sees a, a like a lion there, and he's like, okay, let's just back away. I'm going to go over in this direction. Um, did anyone else notice that? Yeah, yeah the lion sat with a lamb. <laughs> Oh, yeah, like maybe that. I didn't. I didn't yeah. know whether there was a lamb there, but it was. It was Adam's response that always like made me giggle. Yeah. Um, but then the other bit that I loved is when um, in one of the videos where Satan appears, and um, you know they they partake of the fruit, um, and Satan says to them, "See, you are naked," and Eve kind of looks down like that. Yeah. <laughs> 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 you know what <laughs> little comic moments that you had to kind of find to um kind of pass the time when when i was putting all this together i did have a thought and that is that the majority of men will bow to their significant other because of one reason is the sexual you know attraction and well, I'm I'm just trying to say Adam won't have had that when he was making his decision because he didn't know about any of that apparently. So Eve must have made a very well um kind of argued decision, even though in the ceremonies we're about to see it's very short. Um it can no other way. But you know, it wasn't oh Adam, you know, I'm I'm not gonna put out if you don't eat this fruit, you know. Are you trying to suggest that that is why men capitulate to their wives? Look, I probably says more about my marriage than anyone else's. So <laughs> she keeps me on a tight leash. Uh, that says a lot too. Oh dear, we're going we're this. about. <laughs> we don't need to know that kind of detail, PD. <laughs> this is my outfit for oh. later. <laughs> right then. Um, in the Garden of Eden. So everyone's moved now. We've moved from the creation room to this lovely Garden of Eden room. I think we've got a picture here. This is these lovely murals again. Oh, it can make me cry again. Very happy. Which isn't there anymore. And we've even got the Masonic symbols up at the top here with the all-seeing eye representing Elohim looking over the garden. Um, We've got something funny going on there. But we've got your lion there, Julian. We've got peacocks um, in, in close vicinity. So this really did say that, you know, there was no evil in the Garden of Eden. Um, the lions ate dandelions, and that's why they're called dandelions or whatever. 
Um, but yeah, it was this it was this paradise that people speak of in Jackson County, Missouri, because there were lions there. So oh, I've you... got my flag. flag. This is where we're at in the Garden okay, so... of Eden in the USA. In the garden room, um, Adam and Eve, oh, at one end of the room is an altar, and behind it, there is an elevator on which the gods descend. Now, I went to um, the Salt Lake oh. Temple and did a live session, and I'd got heavy cold at the time, and I'd taken some American cold medicine, so I fell asleep extra quick. But I think I do remember like them coming I don't think it was an elevator, but it was a stairway or something. And the Elohim and Jehovah appeared on like a balcony, all really like Romeo and Juliet-ish, and then moved down. Um, okay. Yeah, I vaguely remember that. I went through the Salt Lake Temple once um, with the live endowment um, just before going into the MC Missionary Training Center. Um, I'm so annoyed that he's screwed this all up because yeah. I, I wanted to go back one day. You know, I was hoping I'd get to experience that again, but it is no more. So I feel very lucky I got to see it once. Yeah. Well, um, Elohim and Jehovah are both present. Elohim says, uh, addresses Adam, Elohim to Adam, see the garden we have planted for you. Of all the trees of the garden, you may um, eat except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. This is like indexing, trying to read this. You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, be happy and enjoy yourselves. We go away, but we shall return. Elohim and Jehovah then ascend in the elevator in the sight of the audience. Adam, to the audience, now, brethren, calm your minds, because there's a sexy Eve, and be not surprised at anything you shall see or hear. We shall be visited soon. Oh, enters the devil. So, devil arrives. Can, uh, I, can I just comment that, that, that there's great banter here. This is pantomime. This is great theater. You know, again, yeah, there's all these little extras like calm your minds. Don't worry, everyone. We're about to have a visitor. Um, one of the sort of epiphanies I had about the endowment um is it is hilarious it's wonderful it is pantomime you know we're used to that art form of theater in britain where where you break the third wall you know where you talk to the audience as lucifer does and so on and i think it's just wonderful i absolutely love the endowment for slightly wacky artsy fartsy reasons yeah. but isn't that great you know, we're seeing here the original dialogue was much more conversational it really was immersive. You don't know what's happening next. And these people come up and introduce themselves and then they get you into the right mood. You know, this is a brilliant dramatic device. You know, don't worry, everyone, we're about to experience this. And I mean, just wonderful. You know, these are people without television. Um, it must have been amazing. And you really feel you're there in this real world with these real characters. Yeah. And all of that has been sucked out of it as they've made it more and more boring with each iteration. Well, something so just that... Pick up brilliant some, drama some, skills there. Something <laughs> that we've we've kind of missed, that is my fault, is that um, in the creation, there were three people involved. There was Elohim. And then there was Jehovah and Michael, the archangel, who did the physical act. And then once they had created it, 
um, they wanted to put man on the earth and they put Michael on the earth as Adam and he his mind was wiped of everything from before. So Adam is Michael who created the earth along with Jehovah. And this feeds in later to Adam God theory and, and different things. So I just want to kind of make that point for anyone that's following along the episodes. That is something we'll return to when we get to the veil and, and different things. Um, but here in the garden, as you say, Peter, there is back and forth and the, the devil comes and he, he says, Adam, you have a nice world here patterned after the world where we used to live. Now, another point I'd like to make here is the devil could have kiboshed this whole plan by just doing nothing. If he'd have just said nothing, <laughs> and, and he obviously knew the plan because he's saying it's patterned after the old world. So if he was really a bad guy, he could have just said nothing and been like, yeah, I'm not getting involved. I've seen what happened last time. I was made to be the bad guy. I'm not getting involved. Um, you know, but he did. And I commented to someone that I could see in like 50 years time, there being a lesson on how the devil is a really bad person, but he fulfills a really important role in the plan of salvation because none of it works without him. There'd be no mm -hmm. opposition to right and wrong. And this whole Garden of Eden thing would still just be going on with Adam and Eve prouncing around in Jackson County, Missouri, riding lions naked. So I thought that was an interesting. Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? It's an interesting parallel. It's an interesting parallel to debates that Christian philosophers have about Judas Iscariot. You know, that that without Judas, there is no crucifixion, there's no atonement, you know, that the so I think there's a real parallel here to the ethical dilemmas you can have trying yeah. to pick this up a bit of of Judas had to um betray Christ in order for him, you know, therefore shouldn't we be grateful to him. Okay. And and you you know, you've got the whole idea of sympathy for the devil, like he's been set up by God to play this role. Um yeah, it, it opens yep. some really interesting Julian. um possibilities. Yeah. Um, and I point so out that men, it is now so boring and bland, it's not because I'm talking. He's talking about so, um, well, I think when he talks about patterned after the old world where we used to live, I, I think he's just talking about our kind of pre-Earth life. So, you know, the yeah. idea that that our pre on our, in our pre-Earth life we lived on a planet. So don't, you know, we didn't. So, so he wouldn't have seen. I mean, I'm talking like this is well, real. Um, so he wouldn't <laughs> have seen, um, a, you know, a kind of a, a Garden of Eden scenario and a fall before because that wouldn't have happened on our on the the, the, the planet where we used to live in the pre-existence. No, so, but... so he he wouldn't have seen that. He, that. That's my one thought. Is that then God knowing how um, how we're all going to behave? Because then he would know that the devil will fulfill that role. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why really the, the easiest way to kind of deal with this, other than just say it's nonsense, um, is to just, again, stop taking it so literally, you know, that, that I, I mean, stop taking Satan literally. But it's a literal you know? gospel. Yeah. Yeah. But, but it doesn't have to be. One of the, one of the things that was a real kind of game changer for me, um, 
when I was kind of when I was kind of navigating my way out of the church um, was um, Doctrine and Covenants nineteen, where God taught. And, I, and I'm, I'm sorry if, if you've heard me say this before. I'm, I'm sure I'm repeating myself here. But when God's talking about um, eternal punishment, and He says, "Well, you know, when I said eternal punishment, I didn't mean that it wouldn't have an end. It's my punishment. My name is Eternal. That's another name for me. It's my nickname with my mates. They all call me Eternal." And so eternal punishment just means God's punishment. But I get, I use this language, yeah, because I knew that it would make you think eternal punishment, that's really scary. I better do as, you, do as I'm told. And so it's a, you know, a, a scripture there, a Mormon scripture that, that kind of says that God isn't beyond using, you know, manipulating us a little bit with language and stuff like that. Mm. Yeah. You know, and so, um, if there is a God and there is anything like free will, then God, you know, is somebody that kind of understands human psychology and understands the way to kind of get us to move in the direction that he needs us to move, um, you know, for our own benefit. And so, you know, we can, it's quite easy for us to, to just abandon a lot of this, not see it as literal, you know, and, and, and so I kind of started to believe in a situation where when I get to, heaven um you know when i die and i meet god and i say oh heavenly father and he say okay i'm not actually your father you know when i said father I, I, you know i said it because you know that's something that you would understand that kind of father relationship you know and and there wasn't you know when i said about satan there's not really a satan but he was just symbolic of kind of human um nature and how sometimes you know we are drawn towards doing things that maybe aren't beneficial or, or right or what do, do, do you know what i mean it's like you can you can strip this down a little bit um but this comes uh, down to personalities as well isn't it because you know i've what i've noticed really now that i've kind of moved away that actually my personality is quite a, a literal i'm quite literal about things so i find it difficult to let go of things that are literal i find it difficult yeah. to not envisage god as you know a very old white man with gray a gray beard and you know possibly a cane you know i he's a lot more like dumbledore than anything else that i can imagine i just can't get out of that and so um some of this is personality and jay made a really good point there with no space to discuss this not even in the celestial room people are left to their own imaginations and then are not allowed to even really discuss this anywhere so this is where you get a myriad of ideas um some that are full of imagination and wonder and awe and you know and and maybe even beneficial and valuable to them <clears throat> and others that are really really quite damaging um and that's how you get as well fundamentalism is born out of this because you can see that there is something that is not quite um linear in this there is changes the whole way through and so why are there changes and if you've got personalities that say well hang on i want to be as as true to and as faithful to God and the original doctrine as I can, you can see how they that that can happen. Yeah, and and something. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> good point, PG. Something that oh, happens. Yeah, I think it's thoughts. 
something uh, i'm just really enjoying having something to twirl because i've not had hair for so long <laughs> you know uh no something that happened just i'm really well, as well you're gonna get some crazy kind of rash after this oh i am it's really itchy i don't even know not what just the usual is. rash pd <laughs> i've got cream for that right something that happened just before the devil appeared and something that's really important so god has told them not to eat of the fruit of the tree of life but just before that when he created eve he asks uh, adam something and from the current language it reads um ooh, where are we right why will you call her eve adam because she is the mother of all living elohim that is right adam because she is the mother of all living we have organized for you this earth and have planted a garden eastward in eden we will place you in the garden and we will there command you to multiply and replenish the earth that you may have joy and rejoicing in your posterity. Jehovah introduced Adam and Eve into the garden, which we have prepared for them. And that's important, obviously, because God gives them two conflicting commandments. The first two commandments were a paradox in themselves because the first um, which was not to eat of the tree, and the second, which was to multiply and replenish. To multiply and replenish, they required the knowledge given by eating from the tree. And to not eat from the tree, they would never have the knowledge to be able to multiply and replenish. So God, the trickster God, as we were just talking about, set them up for a catch-22 to start with, you know. And, and that is where this whole Eve figuring it out first first kind of becomes important because people speak about her being tricked by the devil and she even says in here the devil it was the devil who beguiled me but i think i don't know first he goes to adam he goes to adam and he says here um because adam says he doesn't remember anything of the world before he says oh your eyes have not yet been opened and he goes to the tree from which he pretends to pluck fruit, uh, which he offers to Adam the devil. Ooh. Here, Adam, take some of this fruit of the tree. Adam, I shall not partake. Devil, oh, so won't, oh, uh, you won't, won't you? Well, we shall see. Eve, will you take some of this fruit? Eve, who are you? Devil, I am your brother you my brother come to tempt me to disobey my father now this is language from 1906 which we will all recognize as being in the temple today so some of it hasn't changed which is interesting some of this language has survived over a hundred years um and and it goes on about disobeying the father um but then the devil says um I said nothing about father. This will open your eyes and you will know good from evil, virtue from vice, etc. And then Eve says, is there no other way? The devil, there is no other way. And she takes of the fruit. So the devil says there, you know, that to be like God, which is the whole point of coming here to this earth, apparently, <laughs> in the plan of salvation, that this commandment has to be broken. So the whole original sin thing is original, you know, figuring it out rather than a sin and, and having this kind of 
silly, ditzy, hair-curling woman in the Garden of Eden being beguiled by Satan, you know, she says, is there no other way to gain that knowledge? And there is no other way. So, and the sacrilege that lots of Christians... This is great philosophy. Well, the, the, uh, sorry, Peter, the, the, the one line in there, the devil, Mm. I am your brother. To most Christians, they Mm. find that utter sacrilege Mm. that the devil is the brother of us and Jesus, you know, because to them, the devil is... But that's ridiculous, because he was an angel. Yeah, even in the biblical narrative, he used to be an archangel, so they should be that freaked out. They used to annoy me in the Mormon literature, you know, making a big thing of of Lucifer is... You know, So I used to read a lot of the anti-Mormon stuff before the internet that was really badly written, and and it regularly made a huge thing of these Mormons believe that Lucifer is the brother of Jesus, and they tried to come out that the the temple endowment is all occult Satanism, you know, in 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 thinly veiled skies, um, which you could argue a couple of points, but um, yeah, it's but I know this is all great philosophy, you know. I mean, this is the the what I talked about last time, where the animist religions of the world and the origins of religion in the world is your tribe initiates you into creation story for people. You learn the stories, you act them out, you go to a sacred space, you dress up in costume, you become these characters from the dream time. You, you follow how it is that we have the community we have today. Why do we exist? Why are there men and women? Why are we making families? Why do I need to step up and be responsible? What are the rules of my society? Uh, why are we doing this? What's going on with the planet where we're living in or the environment we're in? And each culture will have its own sort of contribution and answers there. So this is weird as heck compared to, as we said before, compared to our normal sort of Sunday church life. But isn't it wonderful? It's this immersive theatre. It's this, um, it is pantomime. It's Hysterical in places. It's so funny, and and a lot does depend on how it's acted. I think one of the lovely things about having the three different films, as that commentary said, that were quite different to each other in how they nuanced up the meaning of of phrases and how the theme gave it different contexts and so on. Was it was making a really positive point that there are a lot of ways to interpret this. You can have the same wording of the endowment, but you can get very different things from it. And the church is okay with it. We're giving you three different movies here. And they all have a different vibe going on. And you're going to watch them all. And I, I love that. I think that was a really progressive step to emphasizing that it is for you to decide what these things mean. That's the power of metaphor and the symbolism. Okay. Okay, well, um, my current temple president, I think I've mentioned before, of the London Temple is Dave Irwin, who's um, who's at BYU with my parents. So he's a good friend of the family. Just lovely, wonderful guy and very theatrical. He's a, a drama expert. He was did theatre studies. Um, and uh, we had dinner with him, um, you know, a year or two ago and had a wonderful conversation. And he was just adamant that no one has any right to tell you what any of this means that it's for you to go to the temple and and reflect on it and just immerse yourself in all these metaphors and which is brilliant you know that's the intellectual religion we've all loved and grown up in but at the same time and i just keep coming to 
people sitting next to me in gospel doctrine yesterday are people who've never been introduced to that kind of Mormonism. So they go to the temple and it's all literal. And they're just very simple. They're, you know, not 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 stupid simple, but just they're with simple faith as they've been told to. Their assumption is this is the, the ultimate truth of the universe and this is how it all happened and we're watching it. And and no one will come into their life and tell them you're missing the point. You're meant to find your own truth in this. Sometimes it will cover a bit in a general conference. You know, but I mean, that's the thing with Mormonism. You'll, you'll hear the whole spectrum. There have been encouragements to go and get your own knowledge each time, go with the Spirit, see what the Lord's trying to tell you through this story. Um, and it's such a shame that often the people who go the most, the people who are the most diligent and faithful and routine, I must go to the temple, often older people in retirement who got the time for it, are those who are getting absolutely the least out of it. No one's given them permission to go on this personal spiritual quest of, of playing with these metaphors, seeing new things in them each time. Um, and that, you know, they might get there essentially, but it's not how it's been framed for them. But this is great. Um, okay. You know, I love Mormonism's creation story. It begins with choice. It begins with Eve being a rebel. She breaks the rules. The, the, your exaltation, the plan of salvation involves saying no to God, breaking a commandment, breaking out, seeking knowledge, choosing knowledge over life. Knowledge is worth dying for. And Eve knows this before she makes that choice because it's been explained to her. Um, and that was one of the nuances that really came out more powerfully in the new movies that they, she and Adam kind of had this more extended dialogue. They had they couldn't change the scripts. They did a lot with eyebrows and body language and everything. But they flipped the script totally to them both contemplating that there is a bigger thing here, but it's going to be painful. Their emotion, they understand they're about to sacrifice um, Eden for something better, but it's going to be painful, but they will face it together. I mean, that that is how awesome the endowment could be and it okay. can, if you've been to give them permission to think of it that way but they've had to kill it okay um being dumbed down and dumbed down it's, it's such a tragedy yeah all right we're, we're gonna fast forward because um we're getting to the end of this section getting towards uh the climax of of this and here we go satan with his aprons he's come in he's beguiled eve as such she says she'll partake and then we have the first domestic on earth as adam and eve um get argue with one another because eve then takes a fruit to adam adam here is some of the fruit of that tree it is delicious and uh, is delicious to taste and very desirable adam eve do you not know what fruit that is eve yes it is a fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil adam i cannot partake and then she says this is <clears throat> the original sister laying it down adam do you intend to obey all of father's commandments and she's figured it out she knows that you can't do both now adam yes all of them eve do you not oh pardon me 300 likes do you not remember that father commanded us to multiply and replenish the earth I have partaken of this fruit and by so doing shall be cast out. 
and you will be left a lone man in the Garden of Eden. Adam, Eve, I see that this must be, must be and I will, I will partake that man may be. And then Lucifer, um, after um, Adam eats of the fruit, he walks to the side of Adam with a look of approval and says, that is right. And then Eve sets it out. It is better for us to pass through sorrow that we may know good from evil. And they speak to Lucifer saying that they, they knew him from the beginning and they get onto Lucifer's apron and they say to him, um, what, is that, uh, what is that apron you have on? Now at the top here on the screen, you can see some depictions of the old style aprons. The one with the fig leaves is the green apron that Adam and Eve will soon wear to cover their nakedness. And the one on the right is the devil's apron, which is usually uh, navy blue or black. And interesting that he has one and that it's very much a thing in masonry, as we're about to see. Um, and he says it is, at least at this point, it is an emblem of my power and priesthood. But it doesn't say this anymore. In the current version of the temple ceremony, Satan doesn't have an apron. Um, so Ooh. written by, let me just pull this up um, because I forgot to put it in, but I think it's very worth sharing. Um, it is from Utah Lighthouse Ministry again. It is this, excuse the pictures there. Um, the Salt Lake City Messenger issue 132, and it says, Lucifer's apron. In the 1984 version of the temple drama, after Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit, Lucifer came on the scene and asked Adam, and Adam asked, what is that apron you have on? To which Lucifer responded, is an emblem of my power and priesthood. The dialogue continues, Adam, priesthoods? Lucifer, yes, priesthoods. This exchange was shortened in 1990 and then totally deleted in 2019. Lucifer's apron is visible mm -hmm. in the 2013 clandestine video of the live enactment of the ritual. Lucifer's apron appears to be green in the video, but has usually been described as black or navy blue. We're not informed as to the visibility of his apron in today's live session. In the recent videos, it has been hard to see his apron. Um, but these are just the latest edits to Lucifer's role in the ritual. In the 1984 version, after Adam and Eve left the garden and entered the lone and dreary world, Lucifer introduced them to a preacher. And we'll get to that in the next, I guess, episode. Oh, I didn't I didn't show it you on the screen, did I? It's that's what it looks like. Is this um is this kind of phasing out the idea that because didn't you didn't you used to have a catholic priest in it haven't we covered that way but you used to have a catholic uh, priest. that that comes in in the next room in the earth room um and it used to be many different christian preachers and then it wasn't until like the night early 20th century that they changed it to a catholic just a single priest so is this part or generic of the... anglican yeah yeah the phasing out of 
emphasizing the fact that there are false priesthoods hanging around possibly Mm. um it does raise a question doesn't it about what are those priesthoods and Mm. and i don't know anywhere else where it speaks about what those priesthoods might be so i think they're just trying to get rid of something that is very very masonic the whole apron thing is very masonic and and him having his own um his own masonic apron like the fig leaves thing you can get away with the fig leaves bit because you know that that's to cover their nakedness and and it does talk about that in the bible but the idea of satan having an apron symbolic of his power and priesthood that, that that's very masonic yeah and adam so adam and eve now receive their um their aprons now this this is always really i find this funny right so from up in the heavens or out out of the room i guess if it's a live um thing you hear elohim's voice jehovah we promised adam and eve that we would visit them Mm. and give them further instruction let us go down and it's like naughty school children um jehovah we will go down elohim adam i hear their voices they're coming and they start running to hide their nakedness lucifer see you're naked take some fig leaves that you may make aprons father will see your nakedness quick hide come let us hide and then the narrator tells everyone pop your green aprons on to hide your nakedness and then uh, at this point um there's a whole conflict with god and he's kicking them out of the garden and that's where we will pick up um the next episode when they get kicked out julian yeah can i just share with you a little illustration of how weird i am go on mate (laughs) if anyone was wondering um so this was this is so daft but i you know when i was kind of firmly in and the church and I thought so. I think you've mentioned this, haven't you? Oh, have I? Say it. Maybe not. I don't know. I'm always repeat myself. Just, just the, the when I, I, you know, I was regularly attending the, the the temple and trying to extract as much meaning from it as I no, possibly could. Say, we know you've been married for years. He's given no clue whatsoever about what he's about to talk about, but you've already guessed what it is. <laughs> That's a married um, couple right there. <laughs> So I um see the danger coming. It kind of occurred to me, I had this this thing this thought that everything that we wear in the temple is white, except for the apron. The apron is the only thing that isn't white. Um but it's also Satan that tells us to put on the apron. Not, not God. It's Satan that says to put on the apron. Oh, okay. And so I had this, this, this idea that if I, at that point in the endowment, if I decided not to put on the apron, then the officiator, there would be a like a no <laughs> the officiator, and he'd be like, it stopped the whole endowment and say, brother, come with me, and I would be taken then and kind of um, made Beaten. profit. <laughs> no, they'd make me profit because I be like- understood. I've understood the real meaning of this. I'm not just following the the the, um, the instructions of Satan. 
I am staying true to whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That thought did, did cross my mind. For what it's worth, I would have liked someone to have done that at least. Yeah, at least tried. Okay, so we've got one more thing to look at, and that is the first token, because we get that um, before we move on. Um, but before we do, uh, before we end, we want to get to 300 likes over the next week on this video. So please um, give it a like, please share it, and subscribe to support the channel. Okay, so the first token. And we have agreed that a red line for us is disclosing the actual wording and the signs. We're not going to do that. So, um, and it's very blurry, so, yeah. Uh, but I think the, the beginning bit is okay, okay? Because it's just, it's just the legalistic bit at the beginning. It doesn't say anything about the, word, the signs and tokens and different things, right? Uh, we and each of us solemnly bind ourselves that we will not reveal any of the secrets the um, of the first token um, with its company name and sign or penalty, because there were penalties at this point in 1906. Should I do so? I agree that. Um, and then it gives the penalty. Now, that wording, apart from the penalty, still pretty much survives today for each of them. And that's why we're not going to give them, not because we, I guess, believe some of us might. I don't believe that I'm bound by any sacred oath not to give it. But as we discussed earlier, and Julian was discussing with the name, it will make some people uncomfortable um, going through that. So we won't. But what we will look at is Freemasonry in 1820 and what they used to do. And then for those in the know, you can pick out the bones of that. So um, the the guard or sign of the entered apprentice um and he's bringing his hands into different positions and then the master then draws his right hand across his throat the hand open the thumb next to the throat and drops it down by his side and the oath i do hereby solemnly swear that i will never reveal what i'm about to receive binding myself under no less penalty than to have my throat cut across and my tongue torn out by the root so that's a penalty that the masons had for this uh first entrant level pd did you want to show us something at the same time oh, oh you know what you'd have thought i'd done this before okay i wasn't yeah. sure whether you were going to purposely not show it so I didn't yeah know. no no i'm looking i'm looking I, for anyone who wants to re it's all on the internet okay i'm just not going to be the one that speaks it so on the right here, the Freemasonry from 1820s, this is taken from the Utah Lighthouse Ministry document that I was taking a few things from and them comparing things. So this is their comparison with the first token uh, that you get in the temple. And this is the entered apprentice. So the beginning of being a Mason. Um, so they take this oath about cutting their throat and, and different things, which does jibe with some other things that we're talking about um and then the master and the candidate holding each other by the grip of the entered apprentice the master says what is this answer a grip the master a grip of what and then the answer the grip of the entered apprentice mason the master has it a name it has will you give it to me i did not so receive it neither can so i impart it so people will know that there's a lot of 
symbology there going backwards and forwards okay without going into what happens in the mormon temple what we've got there from the masonry is strikingly similar to some things that people will have looked at and the enter entered apprentice is given an apron of white lambskin an emblem of innocence i just thought that was interesting julian um i just i think it's worth pointing out that a lot of the people that would have um been given the, the first endowments by joseph smith um were masons as well so so this you know this w wouldn't have been a surprise to them that there are that there are similarities and they the the i think the the, the kind of the, the rhetoric that they used was that joseph was restoring the true yeah. kind of secrets of, of, of masonry and that's how they would have um that's how they would have kind of associated it in their their minds um but this idea of, of these these tokens these these tokens in, in masonry are used to identify um different masons and you know there's lots of you know if you're interested in this kind of thing then just search the internet there's lots of things about people using masonic um handshakes to kind of gain advantage in the world and uh, and that's one of the things that kind of brought, brings about so much suspicion about masonry this this secret society um where you know if you stop by the police and you give them the right kind of handshake then you'll get yeah. let off and that that kind of thing you know we've i'm sure we've all heard it and i'm sure there is there is truth in it um and it, but it, it causes me to want. So we don't these tokens that we're given, that we receive in the temple. We are not instructed to use them in any setting other than the temple. Um, and um, what's interesting is that I mean we do have doctrine and covenants. I can't remember the section where it talks about using a handshake to identify. Oh yeah. Um, an angel so there there is you know that that maybe is kind of inferring this kind of thing within the temple endowment as we'll look at later on you know we've we've got um we've got uh, adam using these tokens to kind of identify true messengers of god and stuff like that um and we've got joseph potentially um doing a cry from the window when so i was thinking know, to, to yeah. identify himself so he no doubt potential, potential that people did identify themselves that way. Yeah, he recognised obviously that um, that there were there were masons in the um, oh. in the mob and thought that, that that might help him. But I, I just wondered whether this this endowment was given was given to people before they went out off and served their missions. Um, you know, ma masonry was was born in in Europe, so these people are going out off to serve missions in Europe. And I wonder whether there was some kind of idea that if they knew these tokens, the idea being that they actually would use these to kind of introduce themselves because these tokens, you know, certainly the first token could be done, can be done kind of easily without it being obvious what you're doing, if that makes sense. Mm. So they could actually, as they're meeting people in Europe, they could use this token. Um, and if this person was a Mason, then it would gain them certain advantages possibly. Yeah. yeah. Um, You've been given that by somebody I know. Me, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Somebody, um, well, like a work colleague, has has done that with you, haven't they? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think the the whole like club, I'd I'd like to be a Freemason, but I can't afford it, um, because I don't think I could 
get into paying that much money again to be part of a club that kind of does all this role playing stuff. I think it'd be too triggering and I don't want to spend money to be triggered like that. Um, but I do think as a, as kind of a community and, you know, uh, the benefits through knowing people, it's a bit like church, isn't it? You know, a lawyer or, you know, a doctor, you know, whereas in your normal community, you probably don't know all those people. And masonry is the same. You know all those people and there's those connections in every town that you go to, which is why maybe for missionaries it was good because they could stay at the lodges and find sustenance. But my plants are wilting. Uh, so that means it is time <laughs> to end. Thank you guys for all of your input, for your passion and for yeah just making the show what it is thanks for everyone in the chat we've had a really lively chat and i think yeah people have been in and out and enjoyed it please like the show and share it with your friends if you feel uh, comfortable enough to share naked english people in bushes with them uh the next one we will be out of our garden of eden garb and into our celestial world animal skins let's see what we can come up with for that in a couple of weeks Ooh, time okay the, the the call has gone out but for now thank you so much uh and we'll catch you on the next one thanks guys see ya bye